Welcome to Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. Today, Dr. Forrest concludes with part three of his teaching on walking in the power of God. We've been talking about walking in the power of God, and this will be the conclusion of that series. And in our first session, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the importance of seeing yourself walking in the power of God, getting that image in your heart, in your mind, and walking it out in your life and ministry. In our second session, we talked about the purpose of signs, wonders, and miracles. The purpose is to confirm the truth of the word that you preach, that you're sent into this world and thus into their life by God Himself. Today, we're going to kind of merge those two concepts together, and we're going to talk about the importance of seeing yourself, walking in the power of God, and seeing yourself as a sent one. We'll end with some practical steps you can take to begin not just seeing yourself walking in the power of God, seeing yourself being a sent one, but actually walking it out in everyday life. Amen? Let's begin by reading our foundational scripture on the power of God. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. This is in the New King James Version. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. Now, if we're going to preach the gospel the Bible way, Jesus' way, we're going to have to walk in the power of God. You can't separate the gospel of Christ from the power of God. We talked about that at length the last session, because the power of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, they are synonymous They are one and the same. The gospel, Paul says, is the power of God, and it produces salvation, healing, and deliverance everywhere it's preached in faith. Amen? Now, Jesus saw Himself as the sent one, the quintessential sent one, if you will, and He also saw Himself operating in the power of God. He boldly declared that He was not only sent from God, but he was anointed by God himself. It was a major emphasis of his ministry and a recurring theme that he returned to over and over again. Luke chapter 4, verse 18 through verse 21. A little bit further than we read before because there's some things in there I want to bring out. In verse 18, it starts by saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now remember, this is Jesus speaking in His hometown synagogue. Hallelujah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Then He closed the book, and gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, my interpretation of that last scripture is, he began to say, was King James' way of saying, this is the first time he said this, but it wasn't the last time he said this. He began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Anytime you read this portion of Isaiah, I'm telling you, it's talking about me. Amen. Glory to God. So he must have repeated this theme over and over again because as you read through the Gospels, 
you hear the cry, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on us. Now that's a messianic cry in response to what he was preaching, declaring, I am the Messiah. I am the one Isaiah told you was coming. Amen? After that day, Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching and preaching and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. Jesus Himself referred to His supernatural works and offered them as proof that He was sent from God. He said, in effect, if you're having trouble believing that my words are true and that God sent me into this world, just look at the works, the signs, the wonders, and miracles that I'm doing as proof that I was sent by God. John chapter 14, verse 10 through 12. Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Now there's a lot there. But notice, Jesus was appealing to Philip, who was having a little bit of trouble, saying things like, Would you just show us the Father, and that will make us happy? That will suffice if you'll just show us the Father. And Jesus was pleading with him, Don't you realize that if you're looking at me, you are looking at the Father? I am exactly what He looks like. I think like Him. I talk like Him. I act like Him. Because I am Him. Amen. And the proof that I am one with the Father and He's one with me is the works that I'm doing because no other man in the history of the world has ever done these kind of miracles. They testify the truth of the word that I speak to you and the fact that God sent me into the world. If you'll get this revelation in your heart and mind, settle it in your soul. I am sent by Jesus. God sent Jesus into the world, and then Jesus turned around and sent me into the world. If you'll see yourself as a sent one, if you'll see yourself doing the works that Jesus did in Jesus' name, you'll begin to walk it out in everyday life. John chapter 17, verse 17 through 20, this is a passage of Scripture where Jesus is actually praying in the upper room before He went to Gethsemane. And it says here, he's praying to the Father, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. He's praying for his disciples. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Listen to this. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me, through their word. So, Jesus here is praying for future believers. Everybody in this room came to Jesus because of the writings of the disciples, right? And you know that Jesus is Lord thanks to their writing, the Holy Scriptures, okay? So, Jesus is not only saying, I'm sending my disciples into this world. He's saying, I'm sending everybody that believes on me through their word into the world. That's You and me. Amen. Right there it is in the Scripture. Glory to God. 
So I'll say it again. God sent Jesus into the world, and then Jesus sent us into the world. Amen. The first thing that Jesus did was He commissioned the twelve. Matthew 9, 35-38 in the New King James Version. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when He saw the multitudes, He was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. Jesus here was grieved in His Spirit for the masses of lost and hurting people. He wanted to touch them all, but knew that it was not possible in the limitations of the human body that He was currently occupying. Amen? He had to have help. Then He said to His disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. Amen? Hallelujah. But he didn't stop there. He prayed for more laborers, and then he turned around and he commissioned the twelve to go out and preach the gospel. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, and then we're going to read verse 8 in the New King James Version. And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Amen. And then on down in verse 8 it says, Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely you have received, freely give. So Jesus said, when you go out and you preach my gospel, I want you to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely you have received, freely give. Amen. Now I want to point something out to you. These men were not yet born again. They were not filled with the Spirit. If they can do it in the anointing that was upon, surely we can do it with the anointing that is within. Amen? Because those saints only had an anointing upon which Jesus conferred to them at that time. The price had not been paid for that kind of power to be able to indwell us like it does today. So I say, if they were out there raising the dead, cleansing the lepers, casting out devils, how much more should you and me, as born-again, spirit-filled people, be doing the same kind of things and even greater things today? Amen. Hallelujah. But the twelve weren't enough. So later on, Jesus commissions 70 more. Luke chapter 10, verse 1 and 2, and then verse 9. This is in the King James Version. After these things, the Lord appointed other seventy also and sent them two and two before His face into every city and place whither He Himself would come. Therefore said He unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that He would send forth laborers into His harvest. And then in verse 9, after He sends them out, He gives them this instruction. Wherever you go to preach the gospel... Heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. Now that's a King James way of saying, You've had a brush with the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Jesus needs more help, so He commissions another 70 believers and gives them the same anointing that He gave the 12. And even though it says just heal the sick, I'm telling you, He told them to do the same thing. Heal the sick, Cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. 
the full meal deal because later on you find out that they come back and they're rejoicing because they say, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And Jesus says, that's cool, that's good, but don't rejoice in the fact that the devils respond to the name of Jesus. Rejoice in the fact that your names are written down in the book of life. Amen. Hallelujah. So we know that He gave them the same instructions The instructions of power, walking in the power of God. And again, I say, these 70, they had the anointing upon. We have the anointing upon and the anointing within. How much more should we be walking in the power of God than they were in this age? Then Jesus turns around in Mark chapter 16, his last instructions to the church, and he pretty much commissions us all. All of us that call ourselves believers in the Lord Jesus, He issues the Great Commission and calls us all to do the same thing that first the twelve did and then the seventy. Amen? And we've read this over and over during this series, but we're going to read it again in the King James Version. Mark 16, verse 15 through 20. And He said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Sometimes I wonder if that means like, you know, human creatures and non-human creatures i don't know do you preach the gospel to the dogs and the cats and the in the animal kingdom hey one day everything's going to be restored the curse is going to be lifted off of you in the name of jesus perhaps it means that i don't know that was professor forrest doing analytical geometry that was a tangent i got chris groaning so it was a good good cornball joke amen and it threw me completely off i'm i'm totally lost amen The train of my thought has derailed. Somebody help me. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Mark 16, verse 15 through 20. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. Hallelujah. Now I want to back up and cover a few things. Let's go over here to verse 18 where it says, They shall take up serpents. Now, I want to make sure everybody in this room understands we do not take up serpents in the sense that we pull out rattlesnakes out of a box and hold them up, glory to God. Why? Because we're not stupid. (laughs) I want to tell you what's going on here. This is a verse that's obviously been misapplied from some deranged individuals up in the hills of Tennessee and West Virginia and whatnot, okay? I asked the Lord to explain this to me in a way that I could understand it. And I was reading it one day, and I read, They shall take up serpents. And all of a sudden, the Lord arrested me, and He took me over to John chapter 5. And He said, I want you to read John chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. So I went over to John chapter 5, and I started reading. And it was the story of the lame man who was lame 38 years there at the pool of Bethesda. And Jesus, He came in for the festival, but... He left the crowd and made a beeline for this man. Even though there was hundreds, perhaps thousands of sick people all around the pool of Bethesda, he made a beeline to this one guy and he looked at him and the Bible says he knew that he had been in that situation a long time. 
And he said, will you be made whole? And the guy says, I have no man. And started explaining why he couldn't get in the water. You know, Because you know the angel stirred the water. By the way, and people say, you really believe an angel stirred the water? I absolutely believe so. Why? Because the Bible says an angel went down every once in a while. And he would stir up the water. And whoever got in first was healed. I believe it because the Bible says it. I don't have to understand it, but I believe it. It's a type of the anointing. That much I do know. Anyway, he says, I have no man. Jesus said, take up your bed and walk. The guy went, whoa. Picked up his bed like Kramer walking into a room. (laughs) And started walking. Oh, praise God. You know. Seinfeld fans will know what I'm talking about. So I said, okay, what's going on here, Lord? He said, that word, take up your bed, is the same word over in Mark 16 in the Greek. They shall take up serpents. I said, I get it. I understand. Revelation's flowing. That which controlled him, that bed, that litter that he had to be carried around on, controlled his life. That which once controlled him, now he took it up and he was in control. In the same sense, when you've been dominated by demonic spirits, you will take them up, you will wrest control from them, and in the name of Jesus, you'll be free and you'll set other people free too. It's easy when you read the Bible, amen? The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself, amen. Hallelujah. Did everybody follow that? Pretty easy to understand. The next part says, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. That doesn't mean on purpose. The same people that hold up those snakes, they drink strychnine, and they'll take open flames and pass them under their chin. I'm like, you people are stupid. That's not what the Bible's talking about. It means if you're out there preaching the gospel in the remote reaches of the world at that time, when you're not sure the water's safe to drink, the water or whatever they give you to drink when you go preach in some village out there, you don't know that there's poison in there, whether intended or unintended. So you have to drink and just believe God that you know whatever's harmful in there, it won't hurt you. That's why I'm not worried about Cape Fear Public Utilities water. If you drink any deadly thing, it shall not harm you. I'm not worried about it. I'm not losing one iota of sleep over it. I'm having fun. I don't know about y'all, but I'm having fun. All right. All right, so it says at the very end there, verse 20, the reason for all of these signs, these signs shall follow them that believe, is to confirm the word that you preach. To make sure the people that hear you know you're preaching the truth. God said, I will send power and signs to accompany that word to confirm that it is true. Amen? But you know, Jesus didn't issue the Great Commission and call us to do these great things and leave us without a source of power. Luke 24, 49 is a companion verse and passage to Mark 16. In fact, Luke's version is a little bit different than Mark's, but it's the same Great Commission, and you have to put the two together to get a clear picture of what Jesus is saying. In Mark 16, he's saying, these signs will follow you if you believe. And they'll confirm the word that you preach everywhere you go. But then in Luke 24, 49, he also said in the same breath, in the same message, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. He gave them explicit instructions. He said, don't go anywhere. Don't do anything 
until you get the power. So Jesus sent us power from on high so we could carry out the Great Commission. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, New King James Version, very similar. Jesus said, but you shall receive power. That word there is the Greek word dunamis. It means explosive power. Do you think about yourself as possessing explosive power? Do you? Well, if you don't, you need to start to think that way. But you shall receive explosive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. You've got to be filled with the power of God to be the witness that God called you to be. Amen? The power of God on display is a witness to all mankind that God sent Jesus into the world and then Jesus sent us into the world. Our word is therefore true and signs, wonders, and miracles confirm that word everywhere it is preached and received in faith. Now I'm going to go into warp factor 9 because it's getting a little late. And for the sake of the children's workers, I'm going to wrap this up. Hallelujah. I want to talk real quickly about practical ways that we can walk out the power of God in our life. Okay? You might say, Pastor Scott, I'm new to the Spirit-filled life, and I need some pointers on how to begin walking in the power of God. Point me in the right direction. I don't completely understand the anointing, and I really am not operating in the gifts of the Spirit the way that other people are just yet. So, here, I'll give you a real practical pointer here. Always start with Mark 16, 18. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Don't worry about the anointing and don't worry about whether or not a gift of the Spirit is going to manifest. Just go forth by faith and lay hands on the sick and believe that they will recover. Forget what if nothing happens. Everybody has that thought, right? When you go to pray for somebody, what if nothing happens? Guess what? The onus is not on you to make anything happen. All you have to do is respond to the command of Jesus. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Amen? Leave the rest up to Jesus. If a gift of the Spirit manifests, great. If the anointing comes, great. And I've had it happen every type of way. Let me give you a couple personal examples and then we'll wrap it up. When I prayed for Linda, it's been about a year ago, she asked me to pray for her ankle. Was it your ankle? And I laid my hand on her ankle by faith alone. I didn't feel any anointing. I didn't uh, feel a gift of the Spirit manifesting. I didn't feel a thing. Now, I don't know if you did, but I don't think you did either. I just laid my hands on her, on her ankle, and I said, Be healed, pain, leave in Jesus' name, pretty much. I didn't feel anything. She didn't feel anything. That was a Mark 16, 18 moment. And the next day, the pain started subsiding and the swelling started going down. It went away completely. Okay? I didn't feel a thing. She didn't feel a thing. But Mark 16, 18 worked. I laid hands on the sick and they recovered. Amen? Hallelujah. Another time, I was praying for a lady in Minden, Louisiana. She had impacted sinuses on her right side. They were going to send her to surgery to scrape them out. You know, it just sounds painful, you know. I put my hand up to lay hands on her, and it was like x-ray vision. For just a second, I saw into her head. Now, she told me she had sinus problems, and after she told me that, this is what I saw. So I said, it's on the right side, isn't it? She said, yes. 
I put my hand up. I didn't even get about three inches away from her head. And then all of a sudden, I felt like a bolt of electricity come off of my hand. It was like a cattle prod. I even heard it. It went, and when it hit her, she fell flat. I mean, the catcher didn't know what hit him. There was no catching. She was on the floor. Boom, down. And she got up, and she ran to the bathroom at the back of the church. And I didn't find out until later. She came up to me later, and she said, Brother Scott, you touched me, and the power of God hit me, knocked me to the ground, and then I felt all of this stuff letting loose. And she said, I got up and ran to the ladies' bathroom because I had just enough time to put my head over the sink, and all of that stuff drained out in about 20 seconds. I am completely healed. Now, that's an example of going forth, being willing to lay hands on the sick according to Mark 16, 18, and being interrupted by a gift of healing. Amen. I take that interruption any time. Amen. Glory to God. Another time, I prayed for a man, Fort Wade Correctional Prison there in Keithville, Louisiana. He came forward to me. He said, I've got diabetes. I put my hand on his chest, and I just said, in the name of Jesus, blood sugar, be normal. I just laid hands on him. I don't remember a gift of the Spirit manifesting, and I didn't sense any anointing at all. It was completely by faith. Came back the next time we came to the prison. He said, Brother Scott, the day after you prayed for me, I had a reaction to my insulin. I passed out. They took me to the emergency room, and the reason I had a reaction was my blood sugar levels had returned to normal. And they stayed that way for 289 days, he told me. Because I saw him on a regular basis. We went to this prison. only reason they gave him insulin once again was because he had the flu and they wanted to be on the safe side. But his blood sugar moved to normal simply because I said by faith, be normal in the name of Jesus. And I laid hands on him in accordance with Mark 16, 18. And then, of course, last week I shared about Andy Edlin and I laid hands on him not knowing what I was going to do because it was a severe situation. He was scheduled, this was a Sunday, he was scheduled for surgery on Thursday and they were going to go in there and do reconstructive surgery to try and bring him some sort of flexibility and some sort of use out of that arm. And I put my hand, my left hand actually, in the hole in his back. I mean, he had a normal left shoulder blade on one side and on the other side, it was just a hole in his back. I put my hand in there, I put my hand on the, on the other side on his chest I heard the Lord say, speak, just speak. I started speaking, you bones, ligaments, tendons. I command you to grow in Jesus' name. And then a few seconds later, there was that popping and grinding that I told you about. And Dr. Jesus went to work on him and did surgery and started growing him a brand new shoulder blade, pushed my hand out of the hole. In a matter of 10 seconds, he had a brand new shoulder blade. I've never seen anything like that in my life, before or since. The most astounding miracle I've ever, ever been a part of. And all I did was be willing to lay hands on him. Even though, to be honest with you, I wasn't sure what was going to happen. I laid my hands on him anyway. So I say to you, if you say, what if nothing happens? When you pray for somebody like that. I say, what if something does happen? Isn't it worth the risk? If it doesn't, then just trust the Lord that maybe it's gradual. Maybe it'll manifest over time. But don't worry about it because it's not your power that's doing the miracle. It's the power of Jesus operating through you. And he said himself, listen, if you ask, require, or demand anything in my name, I'll do it. When you lay hands on the sick, believe it's just like Jesus himself was standing right there, laying hands on that person with you. 
The onus is on him to get that person healed. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's make up our mind. We're going to see ourselves operating in that power. And we're going to see ourselves as sent into the world by Jesus himself. And once you see yourself that way, you'll be much more effective in ministering to a lost and dying world. Amen? Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message on Walking in the Power of God. If you'd like to hear more about Faith Life Fellowship and access more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, you can visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And He's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that He conquered death. We believe in the resurrection. And He's coming back again. We believe.